All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about how the hiring of former Bears GM Ryan Pace may impact the Falcons offseason moves as well as their search for the next quarterback and as well as how the combine could help Washington cornerback Trent McDuffie get on the Falcons radar. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Locked On Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And of course, also free and available on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel. Give us a like when you do. And today's a good day to uh, check out the show on the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel if you haven't already, because today we're going to be using some graphics. Going to have some graphics up for you when it comes to some combine measurables and some uh, consensus draft boards or whatever the case may be. And if you're listening to the show right now, I'm not going to tell you to not listen, continue listening to the show, but you know, come back and uh, give us a, a, a view or whatever. So I get, you know, twice the patronage uh, and, and, and my analytics go up. But uh, yeah, you know, if, if you want to get the visual component of the show instead of the audio you know, the dulcet tones of Aaron Freeman in, into your ear holes, uh, then, you know, get something for your eyeballs uh, as well. So uh, give Locked on Falcons YouTube channel a, a try today if you haven't already. So um, with that being said, let's get into, you know, the the first thing that we want to talk about today. Um, and that is the Falcons hiring former Bears general manager Ryan Pace and what this potentially means. We don't know exactly what Ryan Pace's new role will be. All that was said is he's a senior personnel executive. Uh, so he now becomes the second ex-Bears general manager to, to be a part of the Falcons front office. As his predecessor in Chicago, Phil Emery, was hired by the Falcons after he was fired to be replaced by Ryan Pace back in 2015. In 2016, uh, the Falcons have brought on several former fired general managers over the last eight years, starting with Scott Pioli, Emery, Rustin Webster, and now uh, Ryan Pace is probably another person that I forgot uh, in that period of time. And Pace and Fontenot go way back to their days in New Orleans. I think worked for a dozen years before Pace left for Chicago. Uh, I think Pace was actually the player director of player pro personnel uh, before Fontenot got his um, you know promotion uh, towards the end of Pace's tenure there, and, and got a bigger part of the pie when Pace left for Chicago. And when you go back to at least the last couple of days where Pace was there in New Orleans, they weren't great at signing free agents. Those were the years where they were signing guys like Curtis Lofton and Jairus Bird and Keenan Lewis, and they couldn't fix their defense those years. And then, of course, Pace went to Chicago where he helped kind of build that Bears defense. But it's interesting that the Falcons picked up Ryan Pace because I think it was last week on a, a Q&A episode that we did, and a listener asked, like, why – you know, Thomas Dimitrov didn't get a job or whether I was surprised that Thomas Dimitrov got a job. And one of the things I said in that episode in response to that question was that you don't see too many retread 
general managers in the league today. And basically, if if you're fired general manager, you basically get one shot to succeed. And, you know, you're going to be stuck being some sort of mid-level personnel director like what Ryan Pace is, like what Emory and Webster are now, because there's just not going to be that many jobs out there for you. So it's notable that, you know, um, Ryan Pace is adding his name to that list of basically once you're, uh, you get one shot as a general manager, and if you fail, then it's back to being, you know, college scouting director or pro scouting director or whatever the case may be. So we'll see how that plays out. For him, obviously, you know, if you're looking for deeper meaning to this hire, I, I don't think you should read too much into it. You know, I, I'm seeing people saying like, oh, this now means the Falcons are going to go after Bears players this offseason. It's like the Falcons have already been going after Bears players last offseason. That made up the bulk of their offseason signings, given the coaching connections they had with three former Bears assistants on their coaches having Dave Ragone, Charles London, and Ted Monashino, the fact that they went out and signed like a half dozen former Bears uh, from the last couple of years and James Vauders, Barkevius Mingo, Jonathan Ballard, Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis, Matt Barkley over the last 12 months. To me, it doesn't really change that. It doesn't increase the odds that they're going to go after more Bears players. Now, as someone who's been advocating for the Falcons to sign James Daniels for like three plus months, you know, I'm not going to complain if that now means that the Falcons are, are definitely going to get James Daniels. But I wouldn't sit here and say that the odds have gone up that they're going to sign James Daniels or Allen Robinson or Akeem Hicks or Eddie Jackson or whoever the Bear is that you're, you know, you're coveting currently this offseason or whatever the case may be. But obviously, you guys know, I hope that it increases the odds that they sign James Daniels. Now, when we talk about why Pace got fired in Chicago, he was the former executive of the year in 2018, but there was a run when that sporting news executive of the year and Pace is included in this run where if you got that, that title, that award, uh, then you would be fired within three years. Um, Thomas Dimitrov is a two-time uh, executive year. Scott Pioli is a two-time executive year. So it's an award that, you know, guys that, it doesn't look great in, in hindsight in history for some of these guys. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into that. If, if you see anybody saying like, Oh, he's a former executive of the year. That means he's great. Like, oh, okay. Um, but you know, I think the one positive that you can say about Ryan Pace's time in Chicago is that you can give him some of the credit. Um, you know, how much credit is debatable, but you can give him certainly a, a decent amount of credit for building up that bears defense. When he got there, that defense was not very good. And alongside Vic Fangio, uh, and I think Fangio probably will get the bulk of the credit from most people, but you know, they were able to build up that, that defense to be the top unit in the league in 2018. And that was a big reason why Matt Nagy came in and had the success, immediate success he had. And they were 12 and four that year. They were the three seed. They obviously choked in the postseason. Um, but then Fangio left for Denver and the defense remained good. It wasn't great, nearly as good as it was that year. Um, in 2018, but it was still a solid top 10, top above average defense for remainder year and uh, of, of Pace's tenure, Nagy's tenure there. And, you know, a lot of that is owed to the players. A lot of that defense, that 2018 defense especially, was built on players that Ryan Pace brought in, whether they were free agents like Akeem Hicks, trades like Kelly O'Mac, uh, players that they drafted like Eddie Jackson and Eddie Goldman and Roquan Smith and 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 other players that they were able to pick up in the preceding years. So he does deserve credit for that. And if you're, if there's any reason I think to sort of celebrate this move, it's to look at that and say, Hey, finally we have somebody in Atlanta that has experience building a good defense and, and Ryan Pace can help contribute that over the next couple of years as the Falcons hope to build something 
uh, comparable to that. Obviously, the thing that Ryan Pace is most infamous for is how he botched the quarterback uh, in Chicago. And, you know, the, he he came in, Jay Cutler was the guy, John Fox was the head coach, and his job was to get the quarterback decision right, and he didn't get it right with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, remains to be seen uh, if he gets it right with Justin Fields, but he's not retroactively going to get credit if Justin Fields goes on to be successful in Chicago. It's going to be the new general manager. It's going to be the new head coach that get the credit for successfully developing Justin Fields, not Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy retroactively. So, you know, it goes back to that 2017 draft where they traded up for Mitchell Trubisky uh, at that number two spot and passed on guys like Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson that were also at the top of that class. And what notable came out, you know, several years later is how sort of unilaterally uh, Ryan Pace made the decision to draft Mitch Trubisky and sort of didn't tell the coaching staff and didn't let the coaching staff in on that decision making and, and basically all the due diligence that they did on Deshaun Watson was basically a smokescreen. They didn't even really meet with Deshaun Watson at all during that pre-draft process. They did meet with Mahomes, um, but it was very clear that, you know, apparently like six weeks before the draft, you know, Ryan Pace made the decision internally to himself uh, and maybe, you know, a handful of close, you know, inner circle people that Mitchell Trubisky was going to be the pick. It didn't tell the coaching staff and the, and apparently John Fox wanted Deshaun Watson. It was, it was a whole mess is basically what it was. And so, you know, the knock on that was sort of the lack of communication, the lack of due diligence, the lack of a poor process to that whole situation. And that ultimately led um, to, you know, the downfall of, of multiple people there in Chicago. And, you know, it's not just that pick that he got wrong. You know, He's infamous for signing Mike Glennon to a whole bunch of money that same offseason before they drafted Mitch Trubisky. He also did the similar thing this past offseason with Andy Dalton before they drafted Justin Fields. So, you know, the whole quarterback situation was a disaster in Chicago. And that's going to be the thing that, you know, Ryan Pace is, is most known for, for getting that wrong. And you wonder when you look at the parallels of, between the Falcons and in, in the future, where they're going to be in a position where they're going to have to figure out their own succession plan for Matt Ryan. And we, again, we constantly speculate on when that time table will be. Is it this year, next year, the year after, whatever. Um, but the Falcons are going to start having to do that process. And, and hopefully, you know, you can sit here and say, okay, Ryan Pace may have learned from his mistakes uh, and he'll be more diligent this time. He'll, you know, be more thorough and not just pay lip sync service to, you know, some of these quarterbacks or whatever the case may be. He'll stress open communication because that was a failure that he had uh, with the coaching staff in Chicago who had no clue who the bears were going to take and, and that they wanted to take Mitch Trubisky at the top of that 2017 draft uh, going into that draft cycle. And, you know, he'll learn from all the things that he did wrong last time and he'll do it right this time or help the Falcons do it right this time. But then again, you know, like he's a cog in the machine. He's not the guy that's going to be the decision maker when it comes down to that process. That's going to be Terry Fine. That's going to be Arthur Smith. Um, so, you know, rest assured, don't lose any sleep over the fact that, you know, Ryan Pace is here in Atlanta because he, he's not the guy that hopefully will be making any of those major decisions. So. Long story short, I, I wouldn't necessarily celebrate this move as like, hey, the Falcons got better today. I wouldn't sit here and also say that the Falcons got worse today. It's just kind of a, eh, okay, well, you know, more heads are better than none, I guess. But like, you know, Ryan Pace isn't the first person I would turn to based off of his record in Chicago to be like, yeah, yeah that guy's going to help Atlanta moving forward. So it's just kind of like, eh, whatever, shrug my, my shoulders or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, I think the concern you have to have, and again, 
you know, not to put this all at Ryan Pace's feet, but like you do wonder a little bit, you know, given how important this quarterback conversation and question is going to be at some point in the future. Again, we can debate endlessly what that timetable is, but like you just don't have that many people in the building that have gotten this decision right. Right. Terry Fontenot never had to deal with that in New Orleans with Drew Brees there the entire time. Arthur Smith has never had to draft and develop a young quarterback in the one quarterback that he was around in Tennessee did not succeed in Marcus Mariota. And you can also throw Jake Locker because he was there for the Jake Locker years as well. Um, and now you have Ryan Pace. And so, you know, some of these decision makers here in Atlanta have have never done this right um, in, in terms of, you know, finding and developing a, a good young quarterback. So you do wonder if they have it in them, but you know, they've many of them have never really had that opportunity. You know, maybe you can give Dwayne Jones credit for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Cause I, I think that's was his area of the, of the country to scout or whatever the case may be. But we, we all know that we give Ozzy all the credit uh, for it, all the good things with Baltimore and, and none of the blame for any of the bad things that Baltimore has done over the years. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Falcons do again. I'm not trying to, paint this portrait that the Falcons are destined to screw up the quarterback position uh, in in that situation moving forward. Again, don't have to be melodramatic about it, but I think it is fair to be concerned uh, whether or not we should be, you know, fully trusting of the people in power right now that they're going to get it right in the long term. Uh, Certainly a, a fair question to ask based off of their body of work, but obviously, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, and you know, the rest of today's episode will be sort of piggybacking on the convo that we had yesterday talking about which players need to shine at next week's combine. And we'll talk specifically about the cornerbacks and focus quite a bit of today's conversation on Washington cornerback, Trent McDuffie, who's flying under the radar compared to some of these other top corners, but could certainly be in the mix for the Falcons pick at eight. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast, guys. But before we get there, I do want to plug uh, what your second listen should be after you make Locked on Falcons your first listen. Why not make the Locked on Hawks podcast your second listen, where host Brad Roland is giving you the lowdown on all things Atlanta Hawks. You can find, of course, Locked on Hawks on all the same podcast platforms that you can find Locked on Falcons. So, you know, while you're checking out Locked on Hawks, the reason why you know that is because football season is over. Basketball season is in full swing. And whether you're into pro or college hoops, there's no place better than betonline.net for your sports betting needs. Whether you're looking for the odds, totals, player props, or more, you can find that at betonline.net. And if you still haven't given up on football, of course, you got futures bets there for who's going to be next year's Super Bowl winner. I'm sure they have, uh, you know, the early lines on who's going to be the first coach fired and whatnot. Betonline.net has it all. And whether it's football, basketball, you can also bet on hockey, boxing, UFC, Olympics, uh, and also play your favorite Vegas casino games. So head to the website or use your mobile device today to head on over to betonline.net to learn more about the trends and the action betonline where the game starts. So yesterday uh, I posted on Twitter, a consensus big board looking at five different um, sort of big draft boards. Uh, I looked at Dane Brugler of the athletics top 100, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL networks, top 50, Todd McShay and Scouting slash ESPN Insiders Top 150, Pro Football Focus's Top 150, and Lance Zierlein, who writes up all the profiles that you see at NFL.com's Top 150 as well. And I averaged all their player rankings, and it was over 200 guys. 
on those five boards and, and weighed them heavily towards the guys that were in the top 10 or top 32 on those respective boards. And um, now if you're checking us out on YouTube, you can see sort of the top 20 on that group. Um, and you can find the top 32 on my Twitter feed at Falk fans and whatnot. And what's notable when you look at this uh, board is you see this sort of clump of corners and you see this clump of edges, right? And you see Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, Derek Stingley from LSU, Trent McDuffie from Washington, all stacked at six, seven, and eight. And then you go scroll down and you see a bunch of edges with David Ojabo from Michigan, George Karlaftis from Purdue, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, and Trevon Walker from Georgia at 16, 17, 18, and 19. And this gets back to the conversation we had yesterday with Adam Holloway talking about, you know, the value of the combine and, you know, how, you know, guys that have good workouts can create some separation with on within teams' draft boards. And the more athletic guys get bumps there uh, and so can, sort of can help break up these clumps, while the less athletic guys can send to, tend to stay where they are. Um, and, you know, I, I think to a lot of people looking at this consensus board, you know, they may be surprised to see Trent McDuffie so high. Uh, they may be surprised to see a guy like George Karlaft is pretty low. And, um, you know, talking about Karlaftis, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of George Karlaftis, but, you know, I, I've heard for now for over a month now that NFL teams are not as high on him. And you, you kind of see this going back in recent drafts where the type of defensive end that George Karlaftis is, is not a guy that typically gets valued as highly by uh, NFL teams in, in, in the draft as others, and you go back to the type of end that George Kalaftis is, is more of a, like that bigger five-tech base defensive end that wins with power rather than bend and whatever the case may be. And A.J. Epinesa is a good comparison for a, a guy that, you know, was going into that process two years ago in that 2021, 2020 draft. Um, you know, a lot of people were talking about him as a potential top 10 pick, and then, you know, NFL teams never really saw him as anything more than the second round talent. And it wasn't until after the combine when he didn't test well, where, you know, the media and the rest of the world seemed to be more open to this idea that, oh, A.J. Epinesa is not going to be a top 10 or top 15 pick. Because uh, you guys recall, like, he was a guy that we spent, Falcon fans spent a lot of time in January and February of that year talking about as a potential pick for the Falcons at 16. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me at all if George Karlaftis is like the sixth edge taken in this draft and may not be in the top 15 as opposed to like, you know, two months ago where he was being mocked in the top 10 and he may go in the twenties. I don't think he's going to fall to the second round like AJ Epinesa did, but a, a guy that may not be, you know, mocked as high as people initially thought you going back a couple of months. And, you know, as for Trent McDuffie, he's a guy I've been singing the virtues on this podcast for the last couple of weeks. I've stated before that based off of what Dean Pease's defense looked like last year, um, you know, he probably is the best fit of, of all these cornerbacks at the top of this draft. And, you know, in a nutshell, I think his game is most reminiscent of AJ Terrell's game when he was coming out of Clemson uh, to just get sort of a summary of what he is. And, you know, uh, Ahmad Gardner and uh, Derek Stingley are the guys that get you know, the most buzz and have been consistent or Stingley certainly has been consistently mocked in the top five, top 10 um, throughout this process. And Gardner is kind of a late riser, but, you know, I've been saying since December that he was probably going to be a top 10 pick because we've seen other guys like him that, you know, in January and February were being mocked as late first round picks like a J.C. Horn, like a C.J. Henderson in the last two years ultimately turn into top 10 
players and, you know, they Stingley and, and Gardner really check the boxes that NFL teams look for, but McDuffie doesn't quite from a size speed standpoint, but I still think he has a chance to go into the top 10. And I think, you know, the combine is going to sort of confirm what a lot of people think about guys like Gardner and Stingley as potential top 10 corners, but it could really help a guy like McDuffie solidify his status. And we'll go through sort of what are the areas where he needs to test in order to solidify his spot and potentially put himself on the Falcons radar. uh, If he can hit certain benchmarks and certain key metrics uh, at the combine next week. And we'll get into that uh, as we continue today's lockdown Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I do also want to plug the lockdown NFL podcast, which you can find of course, on YouTube. And if you want to get the lowdown on all the things going on elsewhere in the league outside of Atlanta, of course, you can find that by subscribing to the Locked On NFL YouTube page or uh, subscribing to Locked On NFL on your preferred podcast platform. So we're almost two months over, you know, we're two months are almost up in the new year. And that usually means that people have started to give it up on their New Year's resolutions at this point in time. And if yours was to eat healthy and you've already given up, you, you can, you know, you can get a fresh start in in the month of March as we get there. And you can reinvigorate your New Year's resolution by making Built Bar part of your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, even better than candy bar, because Built Bars not only taste good, they're good for you because they're low in sugar, low in calories, low in carbs, high in protein high in fiber, and you can choose from a variety of flavors. I know when I've tried diets in the past, I have always struggled with, you know, not having that variety in my meals. And with Built Bars, you can find variety with limited time flavors like strawberry, white chocolate, cookies, and cream, the ruby chocolate. You can get tried and trues like coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, cookies, and cream, and salted caramel, and so much more. All you got to do is go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. So, guys, I did more research. We got more graphics coming up, and I went back and looked at every first-round corner, taking the last 12 drafts, going all the way back to the 2010 draft. I looked at their combine heights, their combine weights, their arm length, and their 40 times. And here's what I found. And at the top of the graphic, you can find a little table that lists, you know, their averages um, in height, weight, arm length, and 40 time. And then that's in the first column. The second column is one standard deviation above the average in those four categories. The third column is one standard deviation below the average. And then the fourth column is the averages for all the cornerbacks that were taken in the top top 10. So it was about 13 of those guys. And as you can guess, the top 10 cornerbacks tended to be, you know, bigger, longer, faster than your average first round corner. That's why they get valued a little bit higher in the draft. And, you know, another thing that I also noticed was that the top 10 corners tended to hit those, you know, uh, above average, those one standard deviation above average metrics a lot more frequently, about 77 percent of the 13 top 10 picks over the last 12 drafts uh, checked at least one of those boxes, whether it was height or weight or arm length or 40 time uh, hit one of those benchmarks or better uh, in, in that regard. And you compare that to the rest of the first round, instead of 77% of those guys, like it was in the top 10, it was only 33%, right? So more than double the rate. And then when you looked at the below average, you know, the standard deviation below benchmarks, 
only about 23% of those top 10 picks uh, were, you know, measured in below what those benchmarks were. But the rest of the first round, again, was almost double that rate with 47%. So when I look at the top three corners, it seems, you know, necessary that their measurables could go a long way to determining their status. And so if you're looking at the rest of the graphic, you know, I listed some of the top 10 corners um, that didn't meet those thresholds that, you know, that standard deviation below uh, and only a handful of guys like Denzel Ward and Morris Claiborne were a little light. Morris Claiborne and Joe Hayden were a little slow in the 40 time, but the guys that exceeded those thresholds, again, you know, you, you see a, a lot of guys, Jalen Ramsey's name pops up, Patrick Sertan, the second, um, you know, Jeff uh, Akuda, Justin Gilbert, um, uh, CJ Henderson, among other guys that pop up a number of times hitting some of those, you know, high end benchmarks where, you know, you're looking for a six, one, 204 pound corner. That is one standard deviation above measures in with arm length, almost 33 inches at 32 and three quarters, 40 time of 4.36. Uh, the below average guys is someone who's five ten and five eighths, uh, 188 pounds, uh, 30.75 arm length, inch arm length and four, Point four nine, um, you know, uh, 40 time. And, and for those of you listening and don't have the graphics in front of you, the average for all first round picks is a little bit, the height is a little bit below uh, six feet with five eleven and seven eighths inch. Uh, the weight is 196. The arm length is 31 and, se- uh, and three quarter inch arms. And the 40 time is 4.42 seconds. So when we look at that, you know, I look at, these top three corners with, you know, Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley and, and uh, Trent McDuffie. And I, I see guys that will, you know, at least Gardner and the Stingley will probably hit the benchmarks that you're looking for uh, with a top 10 cornerback, which is, you know, being six, one or above. That's what they're listed at. We'll see what they actually measure in, but McDuffie's listed at five eleven, So he's potentially on that precipice. If, if that number is inflated, he could be on that precipice of a below average guy. Now you look at guys, you know, being five ten, five eights, uh, being a below average, you know, you look at guys that were top 10 picks like Joe Hayden and, and Denzel Ward, they barely crossed that threshold by like an eighth of an inch here or there. Um, and so, you know, I don't think height is going to hurt McDuffie too much, but certainly, you know, if he measures in above a five eleven, will certainly help his regard. And the thing that Hayden and Ward both had, even though they weren't the tallest guys in the world, um, you know, they did have impressive arm lengths. Ward was 31 and two, uh, and 0.25 inches, uh, arm length. Hayden was 32 and three quarters inches arms. So they had relatively long arms. And so I think, you know, McDuffie really does need to have those longer arms and hit like at least 31 inches uh, to really help his case in the draft. I don't think that's going to be a concern in terms of arm length when it comes to guys like Gardner and Stingley. I don't I don't have any questions about their arm length, but that may be a box that McDuffie may struggle to check. So we'll see how he measures up there. But I think speed can be where McDuffie can really make up for it and really, you know, differentiate himself from the other two big corners in this draft. Um, where I think he has a chance to outclass those guys. I know he did run track in, in high school. Um, he ran a 10-8, as best I can tell, in terms of his personal record in 100 meters. I don't know how much that, how well that translates to the 40 or whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, at least theoretically, I think it means that he shouldn't, uh, you know, it shouldn't be crazy to think he could run in the four threes. 
Um, and so to sort of be that high end player, that one standard deviation above, you know, getting a four, three, six or faster would showcase that great speed. So if he runs in a f- low four threes, that will certainly help his stock to solidify uh, potentially him as a top 10 pick. Um, so I think basically if, if McDuffie can run in the four threes, have, you know, arm length at least 31 inches, he certainly should be in the conversation to be, you know, for a pick for the Falcons at eight, you know, again, whether he's going to get the same amount of love that Gardner and Stingley are going to get elsewhere on, on various boards or whatever the case may be remains to be seen. But as we know, like, you know, despite, you know, those guys being consistently ranked ahead of McDuffie on consensus boards, that's not how NFL teams build their board. Every NFL teams stack their board towards their scheme and whatnot. And as I've said several times on the podcast, I'm not as convinced uh, as others are that the Falcons are going uh, to be a press man heavy scheme that you would want uh, if you were to draft someone like a sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley. Cause you look at Gardner, 80% of his snaps this past year, uh, according to PFF were in press coverage. Um, and you know, NFL teams don't play that much amount of press. As far as I know, I think the NFL average, I saw a stat from like 2019 that the NFL average about half of the man coverage snaps are in press. So if the Falcons played an average rate of press coverage last year, based off of them playing about, you know, 35% man coverage last year, that means they play about 15% of their snaps in press coverage. And if you're drafting a guy like Sauce Gardner, like, you know, you got to consistently uptick that like he's not going to flourish in that type of scheme. If he's only playing 15% of his snaps in press coverage compared to what he did in college. And, and Stingley was right behind him uh, in terms of how much press coverage he played, particularly in 2019 when he had his best season in that breakout freshman season. And so when I look at the top of the draft, you know, I don't really see Gardner on the Falcons radar because right now I, I kind of think he's probably going to wind up being a New York giant. They'll take him either at that fifth or seventh spot um, you know, they're going to probably need a cornerback after they trade James Bradbury, which is expected to happen this offseason. And again, this is why I sit here and I say, don't put too much stock in these pre-free agency mock drafts because, you know, the Giants need a cornerback is going to change if they wind up dealing James Bradbury in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I think Gardner is a perfect fit in that scheme now that Wink Martindale is there. And, and no, I'm not one of these people that thinks that Wink Martindale and Dean Pease are interchangeable just because they were both on that same staff in Baltimore. Wink Martindale and Dean Pease's schemes are very different. Wink Martindale would absolutely embrace having a, a big time press man corner like Sauce Gardner. And there's not a lot of evidence that says that Dean Pease's scheme would embrace that in the same ways. And, you know, I think with Stingley going to the combine, you know, I, I think the issues he's going to have to deal with is not really physical. I, I think he'll be fine. I, I heard on a the athletic podcast, I think it was the other day, uh, where Lance Airline talked about how he probably was not going to test because of his injury stuff. But I think the injuries, the medicals, and the interview are going to be really critical to Steve. It's more so than the physical stuff. So even if, if he doesn't work out, uh, that's really what he's there to do to answer questions there because he's had back-to-back injury marred seasons. And so the medicals are going to be really critical and, and all the talk of, I think him sliding down boards is related to somewhat to that medical stuff, but you're also hearing whispers that there may be some character concerns. And that's not something I, I like to prompt propagate because I don't know the guy. And there's been plenty of players that have been rumored and whispered about, Oh, this guy's a character guy. This guy's a bad character guy. And then go on to have success, you know, a, a lot in the NFL and there's been some LSU guys, honey badger uh, comes to mind as a guy that was, you know, 
knocked for his character and has been a non-issue in the pros and, and been a consummate pro uh, in the league. And, you know, I think some of this is owed to the LSU program. And before people, you know, come for me in the comments, you know, I, I do think there is a history of LSU. Um, you know, let's just say like, not to say anybody's bad or anything like that, but let's just say, you know, their, their, their program's a little looser than some of the other more tightly run ships in the SEC. Right. When it comes to like, you know, we've heard many times where certain guys, it just seems like this stigma gets attached to LSU players a lot more. And and again, it's not to sit here and say that this stigma is fair to LSU players, but and it's not to even say that LSU players are especially bad at this stuff. Right. They're, they're doing stuff differently than what other schools around the SEC are doing. Let's just say that, you know, the other schools are keeping, keeping a tighter lid on, on, on what those players are doing. And certainly LSU is, is not on the level of, say, Urban Meyer and the Florida teams from, you know, a decade ago. But, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, it just seems like this constantly comes out about LSU guys. And I, I think, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. So I'm not trying to perpetuate anything about Derek Stingley and say he's a bad character guy. But when you hear these whispers at least this early in the process, it's usually not smoke, right? In the, in the sense of like what you hear in April, where it's like, oh, this is someone putting this out there to get a guy to fall. If you're hearing this in February, it's again not saying that it's legit, um, but like it's legit in the sense that NFL teams are concerned about it, right? And whether it's actually going to be legit in in the sense of it having an impact on his NFL career. I have no idea and I would not assume to make anything. But when you hear some of these whispers, you do wonder about it, uh, particularly at this point in time in the calendar year. And it certainly could have an impact on his draft status. So, again, I think with Derek Stingley, it's going to be interesting to see what the interview and the medicals say about his draft status. Currently, right now, I'm projecting him to go 12 um, for, to the Minnesota Vikings, uh, given that he would also be a great fit in that scheme because they're bringing that Fangio-style defense to uh, their scheme and, and getting bigger press man corners that are longer, stronger and whatnot makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I, I still think the Falcons and McDuffie are the perfect marriage. I think he's the guy to keep an eye on. So if he hits certain metrics or whatever the case may be, I think he'll certainly be on the Falcons radar. And this goes back to something you've heard me talking about now for weeks, which is that, you know, this, this draft is going to be a draft where guys, might be picked in the top 10 that typically won't be top 10 picks. And McDuffie may check that box. McDuffie in a normal draft, because he doesn't have the typical top 10 cornerback measurables being that sort of 6'1", 200-plus pound guy with like 33-inch arms, um, you know, that's the typical sort of classic, um, you know, top 10 cornerback. Um, but you know, this year's draft class may allow guys that, you know, in another draft, McDuffie may have gone 14, he may have gone 16 or whatever the case may be in a previous draft. But as I will continue to say, just because he's not being, he's valued a little bit, you know, more this year than in previous years, doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a bad player. Again, we go back to AJ Terrell, like, you know, Jeff Akuda checked every box. He's the highest drafted corner we've had in the last 12 years at that number three overall spot. He's been a, a lackluster NFL player. All right. You know, it's CJ Henderson from that same draft class, you know, wasn't necessarily the plus plus guy, but certainly was an above average corner from a measurable standpoint uh, compared to most. Um, and he hasn't necessarily had success in the NFL and already been traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then, you know, AJ Terrell, the sort of, you know, again, another guy that had, had some plus traits, but, uh, certainly wasn't necessarily the classic top 10 corner 
you know, is right now the best corner from that draft class and one of the best corners in the league. So again, ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what your stock is. It's matter what type of player you are. And if Trent McDuffie turns out to be AJ Terrell 2.0, you know, no one's going to care that the Falcons quote unquote reached on him at pick eight when he normally would have been the 14th overall pick in a draft. So, uh, that's where we'll leave it guys. We'll talk probably a little bit more about some of these edge guys and, and maybe do a little bit more research on sort of what NFL teams from a measurable standpoint may be looking for uh, to get some of these guys in the top 10. So I'll do some of that research over the weekend to see if we can glean a little bit more stuff uh, on these edge edge guys uh, and see what they may hit in the combine. And we'll have more content combine related, draft related and free agency related uh, as we uh, continue Locked on Falcons next week and get you guys geared up for the combine and then free agency shortly thereafter. Uh, so guys, I appreciate you for tuning in for another week of locked on Falcons. I hope you have a great weekend. If you want to provide your feedback on anything I discussed on today's episode, anything you want me to discuss on future episodes or anything I've discussed on past episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter or Facebook at locked on Falcons. You can leave an email at locked on Falcons at mail.com. And of course you can leave a comment as well here on the locked on Falcons YouTube channel. So guys, I appreciate you for tuning in to another episode. Make sure if you want to get more coverage of the upcoming combine, of course, check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, free and available on all the same podcast platforms you can find Locked On Falcons, including on YouTube. So guys, appreciate it. Till then.